0: Welcome in to Kaplan's NCLEX PrepCast presented by KaplanNursing.com, which offers prep courses for the NCLEX RN and NCLEX PN exams. On today's episode, we talk about the NCLEX test plan categories and what they test and some tips and strategies. And to discuss that, we have none other than Donna Belgard for past listeners. You should know Donna, and if you don't, you should go back to our back catalog and listen. Available on iTunes and on Podbean. Uh, But uh, Donna is here to talk about this topic. Donna, for those who are just tuning in for the first time, can you give a quick background uh, on your world of teaching and on nursing?
1: Oh, okay. Hi, everybody. Hi, Dan. Uh, Yes, my name is Donna Belgard. I graduated from nursing school. I hate to even say it in 1976. And after I graduated from nursing school, I was a pediatric nurse at a big, big city medical center, went for a master's in community and family mental health, and then worked as a nurse for a while. Uh, when I de- I stopped for a while when I had my children. So when I decided to go back, I decided to go back and do teaching. So I became, I taught in a small community college. And I suddenly somehow became the director of the program, did that for 10 years. And when I retired from that, uh, 10 years was enough. I said, what do I like the best? And I said, I like to be in the classroom and I like to teach. So Kaplan found me and I found Kaplan. And I've been teaching the review course for the last about six and a half years, kind of all over the country. I love teaching it. And um, I also do these podcasts and I've taped a lot of, content videos, you'll hear them if you take the review course. And Kaplan is probably the best, least stressful job I've had. So. It's
0: what i love doing there there you go i uh stress out the door is always a good thing and i should probably introduce myself matt cruel on jury duty dan strafford here Hi. i am a co-host of uh, kaplan's uh Training and education podcast so i'm stepping in for matt here on this episode uh wishing matt well on his civic duty there okay. i'm sure for a nursing student and uh, uh someone seeking to be a nursing professional. Uh, the NCLEX at large and uh, what the topic we have on tap here today can be a bit stressful. So we're here to sort of give a, a breakdown and use your expertise to allow people to view into uh, the NCLEX test plan. Um, can you explain what it is? Can you explain how it works and, and how it breaks down for those listening to the PrepCast?
1: Sure, I can. And let me put one thing in here. Also, when I teach the Kaplan review course, that's also one of the main things. Uh, purposes is to bring that anxiety down and to bring the stress down so that you can prep and learn and go and and pass the boards, hopefully the first time. So I'll explain the test plan. It's like a pie with eight slices and the pie, all those slices are different sizes. It's like when you go to the pie and you say, Oh, I want that big slice. They're all different sizes. Each slice is a category that covers different topics on the exam. I'm going to go over all those categories and the topics in a, in a short time. But they're, each slice is a specific category. There is a detailed candidate bulletin. It's an explanation of the NCLEX test plan with real specifics. I'm going to suggest that anyone that graduates from the nur- a nursing program and is going to take the boards, goes to the National Council State Board of Nursing. I, I'll make it shorter for you ncsbn.com because there's a detailed candidate bulletin there that gives you everything you need to know didn't think you wanted to know didn't know you needed to know about taking the boards because my opinion is if you go to the boards knowing what to expect and knowing what you need to bring and all these different things and knowing the categories, you will go in with less stress. So please remember, ncsbn, write that down, .com, and you could get a detailed candidate bulletin that will go into these categories at a greater depth and everything else about the boards than I could do in this podcast. So that's good advice. You should take that advice.
0: So Donna, as we uh, talk about this, we know that the NCLEX is – a computer adapted test we know that's a change from the past but it's a distant change How how is it different than before and uh did the pieces of the pie you just described now i'm hungry but did the pieces <laughs> of the pie you just described uh change at all with the the change to a, a cat test
1: well i'm going to tell you again you remember that i graduated in 1976 from nursing school i went to columbia university and when i took the boards i'll make this short but when i took the boards you went to an armory which was across the street from the nursing school you walked in with eight sharpened pencils and erasers on the back it was a two-day test two eight-hour days and the categories were very specific and you had to pass each category in other words there was an ob category there was a med surge there was a I can't even remember. I probably blanked it all out. There was an ortho category. There was a sight category. Mental health. You had to pass each of those in order to get your license. So it was a two-day, eight-hour each day. Fill in those bubbles for eight hours, um, and then you had to wait four to six weeks to get to get your result and know if you passed. And you had to go to the mail, you know, to your right. mailbox and get it, and open an envelope, okay? So that was <laughs> what we did for all that time, and it was it was very, very difficult and stressful, okay? So the big difference is that now it is given, the, the boards are given all the time. Oh, I forgot to tell you, it was two times a year. So if you graduated in May, you usually had to wait till August. So that was difficult also, because you want to take it as soon after when you feel you're ready, okay? so. The pieces of the pie did change then. What they did is they did these other categories, which I'm going to discuss with you. And you don't have to pass each category. You you have to use the CAT, the CAT test, which I think most people kind of know. You go in, you're on a computer, you get a question, If you get the question wrong, they give you a little bit easier question. But let's say you're terrible at OB and you get an OB question wrong, they're not going to give you 10 OB questions until you get it right. They're just going to give you another random question that is a little bit lower on the easier to more difficult, the more difficult being those analysis application questions and the easier ones are a little bit more content based. So that's what the computer adaptive test does. Okay, so that's where it changed. And also you will get your result in two business days okay so that's a very very big change but i'm going to tell you that the national council of state board of nursing because i did some research for this podcast it was the first organization to implement a cat national licensure exam so that's pretty impressive and between 1986 and 1994 they did pilot studies field tests legal analysis and the first cat test was um, april 1st 1994 so it's not so much in the distant past it's you know but it's it's been it's tried and true though okay so.
0: which is big for somebody taking a test you want to make sure you can you, you can trust it in the computer right. you, it's it's you like to see that there's history here and uh being the pioneer in the field also doesn't hurt uh as technology continues to improve you may get it back in a day or in two hours or <laughs> that, that seems to be more and more the, the pace of play uh, when it comes to testing uh, right. across uh, this digital field we work in. Uh, now, we've talked about how, it, how we've gotten here. What are the different categories of uh, the NCLEX test plan? And can you dive into a little bit, maybe category by category, what each topic includes?
1: Sure. Okay. So the first one is management of care. It comprises 20% on the little piece of the pie graph that you can see when you take, when you look at that National Council, State Board of Nursing, or if you take the review course, and we go into it quite a bit. But the 20% is the biggest piece of the pie. And it says it varies one to three percentage points, but that's the biggest piece of the pie. And for me, having taught the review class for quite some time, it's my favorite piece of the pie. Not because it's the biggest, but because I find that the topics there I can use tips and strategies, With you can use tips and strategies that I you would be getting to know how to answer those questions, and I think it really helps. So management of care, these are the topics. I'll, I'll tell them to you slowly, but you can also get them from a book, and you could also get them from listening to this again or whatever. Okay, so they're mostly case management, continuity of care, Informed consent, very important. You want to know with management of care about informed consent, about confidentiality and HIPAA. Establishing priorities, very important. Establishing priorities. A lot of the questions in management of care are who will you see first? It's a very important question. You walk into a room, you're the nurse, you're at, thinking in the at the bedside, which of these four people will you see first? And I'm going to give you one of those questions in a minute who will you call first, call back from the clinic, or who will you medicate first, okay? Clients' rights, delegation, very important, legal rights and responsibilities, supervision. So there are a lot of topics there, but you could see what it encompasses, management of care. So I do have a question for you. So I'm going to... Tell you what type of question it is. I'm going to read the question to you, and then we'll discuss it briefly. Okay? So, question one is a who do you see first? I think it's a who do you yeah, it's a who do you call first? Four people have called. You get back to the desk. Who are you going to call first? What you have to think about with who are you going to see first or call first is who's the most unstable. Who is the most unexpected? What's happening that you say, oh, I didn't expect that to happen? Or using your ABCs, which I know you learned in school, airway, breathing, circulation. Okay, so as soon as you see a question, this is who you're going to see first, which will mostly be in the management of care piece of the pie. Okay, so here's a question. I'll try and read it nice and slowly so you could get it. Clinic nurse returns to the desk to find four phone messages. Which message will the nurse respond to first? Who are you going to see first? Who's the most unstable? I'll read the answers to you. A client with hypothyroidism reports muscle weakness. So you have to say to yourself, Hmm, muscle weakness, okay, that's kind of expected. Client experiences increased pain when coughing after hernia repair. Well, my husband had a hernia repair and when he coughed, he was a terrible patient. Don't tell him I told you that, okay. Client experiences increased pain when coughing after hernia repair. That's expected also. What about a client with myasthenia gravis has sudden difficulty swallowing? That should make you say, uh-oh, okay? And number four, a client with casted fracture of the right femur reports mild tingling in the right toes. That's a little bit of a smaller uh-oh, okay? So I'm going to eliminate the ones that are stable. One, two, four could be a little unstable, and three is definitely unstable. So I'll look at four again and I'll say, okay, tingling might be too tight, it's a circulation problem, but what do we know about a myasthenic, uh, A person with myasthenic gravis has sudden difficulty swallowing. They might have difficulty with their airway. That's the most unstable person. So those are the tips and the strategies you use to get to the right answer for who you're going to see first. Now, I forgot to tell you something I want to tell you right now. One of the most important things is to eliminate answers that are not correct and be left with the one that is correct, okay? Very important. There will be times when you're taking the boards where you choose an answer just by jumping on something that jumps out on you. at you. You know, you say, oh, chest pain. Chest pain's bad. And you choose it because it's something that you know. If you do that, you're going to get more questions wrong than than right so again eliminate the ones that you don't want you could be left with the one you do want and even if you're not sure why it's right choose it and go on because you knew the other three were wrong okay so it's a very important point that i think you have to say to yourself a lot of times before you really trust it okay and here's the second question i want to give you two for management of care and this has to do with delegation so you know about scope of practice know you know about scope of practice, what the RNs can do, what the LPNs can do, and what the um, nurses aides can do. So anything that involves evaluation, anything that involves education, assessment, nursing judgment, the RN has to do it, especially in NCLEX land. Anyone that has a stable patient with expected outcomes, the LPNs can do that. They can do all the skills that they learn, but they can't do assessments and nursing judgments. And the NAP or the nurse's aide can do standard unchanging procedures, okay? You will find this anywhere. You will find it in your books about scope of practice. So when you see a delegation question, you have to think about your tips and your strategies about scope of practice. So the RN evaluates the assignments on a med surge unit. The RN determines that the assignments are appropriate if the LPN performs which task. So now we're going to look at the task and we're going to eliminate the ones that are not good for the LPN instead of jumping on something determines the effectiveness of restraints for a client who has been pulling on the Foley. Well, determining effectiveness is assessing and using nursing judgment. I'm going to eliminate that performs a sterile dressing change for an infected venous stasis ulcer. I'm going to leave that one there. Obtains vital signs from the client just returned to the floor immediately after cardiac half. Can they get, can the LPNs get vital signs? Can a, Nurses, eight zones, yes, but not when they just return from surgery or from a calf. So I'm going to eliminate that one. Teach a newly diagnosed diabetic to administer insulin. That's education and teaching. I'm eliminating that. I go back to number two, which I thought might be right, and that's the one I'm left with, and that's the one I choose. Okay, so that's what you need to do.
0: We're through the uh, first 20%. Is there more here, Donna? Or are we ready to move on to our 15%? Are we apple pie here? Are we pumpkin pie? What kind of pie are we're we?
1: Not, we're not doing pie anymore. We're doing drugs. Now. Ah,
0: all right. There you go.
1: <laughs> we're moving on to the next category. Good, good. 15% is pharmacological and parenteral therapies. I want you to know that on the boards, there are no brand names now, just generic names but I will also tell you that I have not received any information from anyone that took the boards that get back to me when they pass or when, you know, when they don't, because I teach the class, I give them my email address. I have not had anyone say pharmacology was horrible because I didn't get the brand names. So you have to trust that pharmacology, you'll study a certain way. You'll study the meds. You'll, you'll be fine. The brand names are not necessary. Okay, just wanted to give you that little thing. So when you hear pharmacology, you're not rolling your eyes and wanting to run from the room, okay? So pharmacology and parental therapies. These are the topics. Second piece of the pie, second biggest one. Administration of blood and blood products, adverse effects, contraindications when you shouldn't give the med, side effects, interactions. Remember, please, adverse effects are worse than the side effects. Side effects are usually expected. Okay. IV therapy and also IV therapy because the IV fluids are considered medications. You want to be sure there's another tip. You want to be sure that you know which IV fluid you give for what symptom or for what problem. You can't just know the different IV therapies you wanna find out that you give normal saline to get the fluid to remain in the intravascular system. That's a good example there. Medication administration, excuse me, parenteral IV therapies, dosage calculations. Dosage calculations will be really the only fill in the blank questions that will be on the boards. They will not ask you some crazy question where you have to figure out what the diagnosis is, but dosage calculations will be the math. You will get a drop-down calculator. You will have a whiteboard to write on to figure out the math. And you will also be told whether you should round the answer. Usually, it will say, do not round. So that's what you need to know about dosage calculations, OK? So again, um, I have the question for you now, OK? Remember, you're looking for one correct answer, so you're going to eliminate the wrong ones first, OK? The nurse teaches a client about diazepam, which statement by the client indicates understanding of the teaching. Now, I want to point something out to you here. If you learn your suffixes, like P-A-M, here's another tip and a strategy, when you're doing pharmacology, you don't really have to know what that med is, you just have to know what classification the medication is with that P-A-M, okay? So the nurse teaches a client about diazepam, which statement by the client indicates understanding of the teaching. So if we're looking for indicates understanding, we're looking for the correct answer. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the other three are going to be wrong about diazepam. Okay? So I like to say this. Is it correct if the if they say if the dose of diazepam is increased, I may have some trouble falling asleep? Okay. Is that correct or incorrect about diazepam? Well, if it's increased, it's going to make you sleepier. So I'm going to eliminate number one. I've gotten rid of number one. Is it correct if they say I have to make changes in my diet while well, taking diazepam? So think, think about the suffix and think, hmm, do I know they have to change any of their diet? I don't think so. I'm going to eliminate that. If I have problems with this medication, I should call the healthcare provider or I can drink alcohol when taking the medication. Can you drink alcohol with diazepam? Not a good idea. You get number three, and that's the right answer. So if I have problems with the medication, I should call the healthcare provider. With that medication, you learn in school that you can't stop it right away. So that's the right answer, number three. You see how eliminating and being left with the right answer. Oh, I gave you another one for this one. Okay, let's look at the second question. Nurse cares for a client in the emergency department. Client was in an automobile accident and has an abdominal injury, which information is most important for the nurse to report to the healthcare provider? This is truly a medication question, okay? So I'm just gonna read the answers to you. The client takes propranolol, 20 milligrams daily. The client takes lorazepam, four milligrams BID. The client takes clopidogrel, 75 milligrams daily. And the client takes metformin, hydrochloride, 500 milligrams, BID. Abdominal injury, automobile accident, what are you going to be worried about? And the right answer would be number three, because you worry about bleeding. Okay, so that's the right, that happens to be Plavix. Okay, but that's the right answer. Of course, you don't want them to not get their antihypertensive okay, because you don't want to stop it right away. You don't want them to stop the lorazepam right away, and you want to make sure that they get their metformin, but the most important thing is number three, which should increase their risk of bleeding after that accident. Do you see how you might sometimes not even have to know really what the meds are if you really use critical thinking and look at what you're going to do, okay? So that's that that's the second question
0: if uh donna great yeah. great seed so far as well as you're just sort of giving those extra tips as you're talking yeah. through here i uh, hope everybody's listening and listening intently if you're not go back and listen again but uh we're on to the third biggest uh slice uh which is uh you have listed as 14 percent physiological adaptation take us through those topics and uh we have an example question here as well
1: take it away donna okay Physiological adaptation is, I, I think it's a dif—it's a difficult um, piece of the pie, I would say, and difficult to teach in the review course also, because you have to know a lot of information here. So these are the things that are in there. Alterations in body systems, fluid and electrolyte imbalances, again, so important. You can't just know what a low sodium is and what a high sodium is. You have to know what it causes, what does it look like? If someone's hyponatremic, what do they look like? what is happening to them, okay? Hemodynamics, illness management, medical emergencies, pathophysiology, okay? So that those are pretty big topics that cover a lot of things, that physiological adaptation. So I'm gonna give you your first question here. I only have one here, okay? The nurse evaluates the effectiveness of dopamine therapy for a client in shock, which of the following indicates that treatment is effective? So I'm gonna show you how, all those things are very big topics. So here you have, you have dopamine, you might have forgotten what dopamine does. You have shock, I don't think you forget what the shock is, okay? And which of the following indicates that treatment is effective means you have to look for something that shows you that the shock is lessening that the client is improving. So you don't have to get all nervous when you see dopamine and you think, why did they give dopamine? You just have to say dopamine is something they are giving to improve shock. What does shock look like? What does it look like when it's getting better? And now this is a select all that apply. And I know you hate these. Every, when I directed the program, when I taught, I would see as they do, were doing my test, when they got the the select all that apply. They would all give me a look and say, "Mrs. B, what, why? We hate these. They are not any more difficult than other questions. So just stay with me on this one. I talk too much. Let me read this. Let me read the stem again for you. The nurse evaluates the effectiveness of dopamine therapy for a client in shock. Which of the following indicates that treatment is effective? Okay. Do we want increased urine output? Do we want increased urine output when someone has shock? Are we are they treating them so that we increase their urine output? Yes, we are. Okay. Do we want the creatinine to be 4.6? It's too high. That would be what it was when they had shock. It should be going down when they're rehydrating. Eliminate number two, increase blood pressure. Do we want their blood pressure to go up when they're in shock? What happens? They get tachycardia and hypotension. So when increased blood pressure happens, yes we do. We're gonna keep number one, we're gonna keep number three. BUN is 32, too high, means it's not resolving. Throw it out. Hypotension means they're still in the shock phase. Throw it out, we've got one and we've got three. Those are the right answers. You have to say to yourself as you're doing them, shock, what do I know about shock? Is it good if they're increased if they're increasing urine output? Yes, it's good. You keep it. Is it good if the creatinine is 4.6? No, that's the way you do them calmly, and without saying, "I hate these questions. I hate these questions. I'm never going to get it right." Okay, and that's the question for physiological adaptation.
0: Now, Donna, great. I mean, first of all, growth mindset, we can answer anything. We just have to figure out how. So I think that's a great point there at the end. But even more so, I think your point and uh, a Kaplan point overall of eliminating the wrong answers for select all that apply, correct me if I'm wrong here, really helps you in that you're not trying to figure out what's right. You're trying to figure out what's wrong and then be comfortable with what's left over.
1: Yes, absolutely. There are some questions in the on the review course, which. You know, I'm I'm prejudiced. I think everyone should take the Kaplan, yeah, the the prep course because I've been teaching it. I probably taught it about 150 times already, and I I really think it helps. So, and some of the things I'm saying here are, you know, tips from that. Oh, now I lost my train of thought. You should take the Kaplan review course. You just what did you to say to me? Uh, well, I was just saying that using, that. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: select all that apply, uh, oh, right. using the and, wrong, and yeah, picking yeah, the wrong, picking the wrong leaves like you at the right and being comfortable with that.
1: Yes. Whatever I was going to say will will pop back into my head. Sure.
0: Well, let's let's pick back up. Uh, Up next, Donna, we have uh, 12 percent. This is reduction of risk. What's underneath here? and, And if you have an example, that'd be great as well.
1: I do. I do. Reduction of risk. So you want to keep the patient as safe as possible. Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to tell you. The main construct of what they're teaching Is safety. Is safety. You have to think safety. You have to think that the person is safer if their your output went up. You have to think the person is safer. So reduction of risk is to reduce the risk of, of anything else happening or just reduce the risk. So we have changes or abnormal or abnormalities in vital signs. We have some pathophysiology here. Potential for complications from surgical procedures and health alterations. So you think about reduction of risk. They come back from surgery. This is what's happening to them. How are we going to make sure that what's not good is resolved and what's good keeps on happening. You want to reduce the risk of anything further happening. System specific assessments, therapeutic procedures, diagnostic tests and lab values. Okay. So I'm going to give you, I like this question. I'm going to give you a question right here about reduction of risk. Okay. The nurse identifies which client is most at risk of developing complications when sedation is used during a procedure. So a lot of the time, the questions that are the hardest are the ones that say most at risk because all four of these people I'm gonna tell you about could be at risk. But NCLEX wants you to know your priority, who's most at risk, which makes the question a higher level question. You have to analyze a lot of things rather than a content question. Okay, so who's most at risk before they when they get sedation? A 72-year-old client taking clopidogrel, 75 milligrams a day. A 48-year-old client taking an anti medication daily, anti-hypertensive medication daily. A 55-year-old client with a 15-year history of smoking one pack of cigarettes a day. Or a 50-year-old client with a five-year history of sleep apnea using a CPAP machine. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to say, okay, clopidogrel, little risk of bleeding. They're at risk. Not so much, okay? 48-year-old antihypertensive medication daily. Could put them at a little bit of a risk, but really not so much. So now I'm left with three and four. I'm going to say, hmm, well, three is kind of like a breathing thing. And I'm going to look at number four. I'm going to say, Ooh, sleep apnea using CPAP means airway is closing up. Okay. I'm going to take that airway person above the number three person and I'm going to choose number four. Okay. If number four wasn't there, number three would be the answer. You see? So you have to really, a lot of people would jump on three and say smoking bad sedation. And if you don't go to number four, you're going to get it wrong. Okay. So that's, That's our reduction of risk. Reduction of risk questions can also be, there will be some ones that you have to, um, put them in, put the, the patient, the clients, I say patients all the time. I don't say clients, but I'm trying very hard to say clients. You put these, they'll give you five clients. They'll give you what they have, their age, their, this, They're that. And they'll say, put them in the proper order with the person with the most risk first. So you'll drag and drop them over, okay? Remember when you're doing those, you have to say, okay, if they're asking you about these people who are most at risk of getting diabetes, you have to think in your head when you're taking the boards, what are the risk factors for diabetes? Find what they are in those people, give them a number value of how many risks they have, put the one that's most at risk at the top and put the other ones following, okay? So that's, that. you'll see a bunch of those in the risk factor ones, okay?
0: So nice a, 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 great yep. summary, uh, summaration, a great summary there, Donna, uh, okay. of uh, that topic. We're about halfway through. We're coming up on yeah. uh, safety and infection control. This uh, takes up 12% of right. the, the pie we were discussing before. What topics do we have here?
1: Okay, we have any kind of accidents or injury protection, error prevention. Okay, so you have all these safety things and they put in infection control, which is a big piece of it handling hazardous infectious materials, okay, medical, surgical asepsis, standard precautions, transmission-based precautions. You need to know, this this is a tip, when you prepare, you need to know which type of precaution you use for which type of client. It's it's not good if you don't use enough, but it's equally not good if you go in looking like you're from the hazmat team and the person has a rash on their foot. So you wanna know which ones, contact, airborne, droplet, which ones you're supposed to use for each different type of uh, client, I would say, or what the client has, very important. Use of restraints and safety devices, okay? emergency response plan. There are going to be questions about if there's a chemical spill, if there's a this, if there's a tornado coming, uh, you know, all these kind of emergency response plans, nurses have to know what they need to do. So that's safety and infection control right there. And uh, I'll give you this next question. The nurse is in charge of the defibrillator during a code on the mental health floor, which is the most important action for the nurse to take. I'm not going to talk about any of these answers as I go down. I'm just going to read them to you to see if you can get it. This is kind of one that people have trouble with. So I'll read it to you one more time. The nurse is in charge of the defibrillator during a code on the mental health floor, which is the most important action for the nurse to take. One, assess the client's respirations before defibrillation. Two, announce the all clear. Three, apply the conduction gel only on the paddles. Or four, quickly visually assess if everyone is clear and not touching the bed and or client. Take a second to think about it because we have time. And the right answer is number four. Um, People jump on. This is a very good example of... If you don't really do the whole question and eliminate things, you're not going to check the respiration before defibrillation. You're not going to stop and do that. You have to defibrillate. Okay. You're applying the conductor gel only to the paddles is just, you could do it to the paddles, you could do it to the skin. It's just not the most important thing by a long shot. Now we have announced the all clear and quickly visually assess if everyone is clear and not touching the bed. So if you choose to, and you say, Announce the all clear, and you don't check that they're all clear, you haven't done your job. So the most important thing becomes, make sure that when, after you say the all clear, it's most important to make sure they are all clear. So that's the right answer. This is a hard question because people jump on number two. So you had two left and four left, you have to say, hmm, wait a minute, I can announce the all clear three times, and if someone is still leaning on the side rail, they're going to get shocked. Okay. So that's a good example of safety and infection control and a good example of the type of question where think it through, think critically. And also here's, that's what I wanted to say. Picture yourself at the bedside. If you're still having trouble with this question, so picture yourself like Grey's Anatomy. You're all around the bed and they call, it's a code and you come in and you're all standing around and it's hubbub, right? It's, it's, a lot of activity. And the person that's going to defibrillate says, all clear. And then they do it. But if they say all clear, and then they look around to see that they're all clear, that's the most important thing. Picture yourself at the bedside. It's a really good tip if you're having trouble.
0: Visualization helps a lot of things. And when you yes. can actually picture yourself in the moment and what needs to happen... Right. I uh, should go a long way to just making it easier for you to see what the correct answer is. We're we're halfway home. Uh the pie slices are getting smaller and smaller here. We're we're to I'm single
1: stuff after eating all this <laughs> pie.
0: <laughs> I have some room left. So let's keep going. Uh 9%, okay. we're in single digits here and it's health promotion and maintenance.
1: Yes. So this is where OB lives, okay? So if you are a person that likes OB, You're in like Flynn here, and if you're a person that doesn't really like OB, you're gonna have to do a little prepping for it, okay? So it deals with the aging process. It deals with anti-intra and postpartum and the newborn, developmental stages. You might want to look at Ericsson's once again and see where that fits in. Health and wellness, health screening, high risk behaviors, self-care, and techniques of physical assessment. So those are health promotion and maintenance. It mostly deals with, no, not illnesses, not risk factors, but normal life and trying to keep your health uh, maintained. So I'll give you this question. The school nurse speaks with the parents of children in the kindergarten class. The nurse is most concerned if which statement is made by a parent. Okay, so these children are probably, what, five and six? You want to think about the age, kindergarten. And you want to see what you're most concerned about. So you're looking for something that makes you say, Hmm, I'm going to look into this a little bit further. Okay. So my five year old is a good one to eliminate. I mean, the aunt is a good one to use the elimination thing, which they all are. Number one, my five year old fights with his eight year old brother. Do we care? We're going to eliminate that kids fight, right? Sometimes when my daughter is excited, she can't pronounce some words. Now, if the child could not pronounce anything and was stuttering all the time we would worry but when they're excited can't pronounce I me mean, kindergarten children can't pronounce kindergarten you know they say kitty garden or whatever or spaghetti so i'm going to eliminate that one my child refuses to sleep alone i'm say, hmm let me look at four my child occasionally cries when he does not get what he wants no problem there so go back to three and say the only one that I'm concerned about is my child refuses to sleep alone. I don't know why. Okay. But it's the one that makes me say, I wonder what's going on. And then you have to think like a nurse and you have to say, well, maybe someone's coming into the room and doing something. Maybe he's having night terrors, whatever it is, the root, the word refuses to sleep alone means that that is the answer that you're concerned about. Okay. If they said my child, Comes to sleep with me when there's a thunderstorm, we wouldn't care about that. So use your critical thinking and eliminating ones that you don't think are right. Okay. And one more question for this one. I wanted to put a postpartum question in. So the nurse is caring for clients on the postpartum unit. Which mother will the nurse see first? So this is like a management of care with OB. Okay. So we're going to say, who are we going to see first on the postpartum unit? You remember, unstable, unexpected. Okay. A mother, three hours after delivery, has saturated two peri-pads. A mother, four hours postpartum, reporting having difficulty with newborn latching on. A mother, two hours postpartum, having difficulty urinating. Or a mother, 24 hours postpartum, has a WBC of 11,000. I'm gonna say expected versus unexpected, okay? I'm gonna say there are some there that are expected. I'm gonna use my ABCs and say, does anything have anything to do with ABCs? And then I'm gonna choose the most unstable person, which is absolutely number one, okay? Saturated 2 peripeds. you you're worried about hemorrhaging. It's a circulation answer. Difficulty latching on, difficulty urinating is expected, and the WBC goes up a bit after the stressor and all that inflammation of giving birth. So think like a nurse, number two, circulation, and not expected. Okay? Most unstable. That's that one. Oh, we have two more left. That's right.
0: So, uh, two more. Uh, we have yes. 9% basic care and comfort. So, two 9%s in a row here as we uh, do whittle down to the final pieces of the
1: pie. Yes. Oh, I have to tell you one thing. My daughter also is a nurse. She became a nurse four years ago. She. And my son's an engineer. I don't want to not mention him. He's working in Las Vegas. So, anyway, my daughter... Um, did not like basic care and comfort at all. She thought she read into these questions. Do not read into the questions. She thought they were kind of a little too easy and she tended to read into them. So do not read into the question, okay? So we have assisted devices, mobility and immobility, elimination, non-pharmacological comfort intervention, nutrition, personal hygiene, and rest and sleep you can pretty much see that these are basic care and comfort, okay? So an 80-year-old client is brought to the clinic by the spouse. The spouse states, my wife is really not eating well. Otherwise, she's pretty healthy. Which meal is best for the client, okay? So they're asking you which meal is best for the client. If, they ha- if you have someone that has Crohn's disease, it's going to be a particular diet. If you have someone that's just not eating well, you're going to look for a balanced diet. So, you're going to look and say steak, french fries, decaffeinated coffee and jello, roll and butter, apple juice, pudding, broiled chicken, broccoli and milk, cheese and crackers, cookies and tea. You look at it. You say, what's the most balanced diet? What gives this woman, who, uh, yeah, I guess it's woman, this gives this woman the best chance at having a good diet. And you choose number three. Simple question. That's why my daughter read into them. She didn't like them. So be careful. Just say what they're asking you to do and do it. And one more here, an elderly client reports having trouble sleeping, which statement by the nurse is most appropriate. So you see, this is about a balanced diet. This is about sleeping. Okay. So which one are you going to ask them? Does coughing ever wake you up in the night? If you read before you go to sleep, that may help. How many times do you wake up during the night? When you were younger, how well did you sleep? So, what's going to give me the most information about them, about them uh, with the problem sleeping? We don't know the trouble they're having. So, number one is a yes or no answer and assumes that coughing is the problem. I'm going to eliminate that. And now we're giving advice. If you read before you go to sleep, we don't know if that will help. We don't even know what's going on. I'm going to eliminate that. And when you were younger, how well did you sleep? We don't care. I know that sounds terrible. We we don't NCLEX deals with the here and now. So if you say, how many times you wake up during the night? Picture yourself at the bedside saying that. The guy says, I wake up four times, and then I have to go to the bathroom, and then I think about my wife who's home, and then you get the whole story. You'll probably be there for a half an hour listening to it. Okay last piece of the pie
0: and we're at nine percent again psychosocial integrity uh, is yes. the topic and uh, there's subtopics here again and one uh, question to bring us out we'll have uh, a follow-up question with donna before we go but uh final one bring us okay, on wrapping
1: it up okay psychosocial integrity um that doesn't always mean mental health mental health nursing okay Uh, It has a lot of different parts to it, but you will also get questions about someone who is bipolar and is in the mental health facility. So abuse and neglect is in there, chemical and other dependencies, end of life, grief and loss, family dynamics, stress management, which is always good, cultural diversity, therapeutic communication, and coping mechanisms. Of course, you use therapeutic communication through... All of, your, um, uh, all of your answering the questions, okay? The client had surgery for possible cancer. Positive breast biopsy result is back in the medical record, but the client has not yet been told that the tumor is malignant. Client asked the nurse, is it cancer? Am I going to die? What is the best initial response by the nurse? Okay, she hasn't been told yet. You don't have to like the best answer. It doesn't have to be the way you would say it, but you have to know that three of them are no good, okay? Three of them have to be eliminated. Everyone will die one day and we have treatments for cancer. I don't think anyone will want to choose that. That's kind of denying her her anxiety and a false reassurance. I can understand your anxiety. Let me call the healthcare provider. Well, it's not about you understanding the anxiety and it's kind of passing the buck at this moment, okay? Share with me what your concerns and thoughts are about this situation is going to get her talking and you can talk and the biopsy results came back as malignant, but this does not mean the cancer is not treatable. You can't tell her that anyhow. So three would be the right answer. Like I said, there were going to be some questions where you don't like what the right answer says, but the other ones are wrong based on the rules of therapeutic communication.
0: Another great example there, Donna, of of the eliminating the bad ones to get to the right one, being comfortable that you did the work and did the proper work to get there. Uh, And as you said, maybe you're not most comfortable with the wording of it, but it's still uh, the right answer as presented. Uh, A great job breaking down uh, this topic. We appreciate it. And I'm sure all the listeners appreciate it as well. Are there any other test taking strategies that you can discuss uh, that work on any question from any topic?
1: Yes. I, I bought a, uh, It's kind of like a summary, but I want to, again, that eliminate the wrong answers and be left with the correct answer. There were a couple of questions in the review course that nobody knew what the right answer meant. Nobody knew, but they knew the other three were wrong. And I, and they, they still don't choose it. Even in the review class, I'm telling you, it's a very important point. Do not jump on an answer that you recognize and then choose that answer. Another one is use textbook knowledge to answer a question. Honestly, if you had an uncle who had a cholecystectomy last year, and this is what they did with Uncle Harry, and you answer the question based on what they did with Uncle Harry, you have a very big chance of getting it wrong. You have to look at each question in and of itself, learn what you used in school, okay? What you did for that client in clinical might not be right for the client in the NCLEX question. So you have to really look at one each, put yourself at the client's bedside. I told you that already and safety first, really remember safety first. So those really work for across the board, across the board and read the question carefully and don't get, you know, you get a select all the apply. Don't let yourself get all Worried? It's just another question.
0: Just another question, indeed. Donna Belgard, uh, an amazing job here on this podcast. Donna Thank is you. A, it. of course an instructor at Kaplan. You can uh, enjoy her classes uh, at Kaplan, uh, of course, and you can find out more information on that uh, by visiting uh, kaplannursing.com. Donna, uh, just as we go, what you know? Where are you pointing people outside of Kaplan? Obviously, are there uh-huh. uh, websites? Are there books? Are there there ones that you lean on for this sort of study? This sort of tip-taking and, and really uh, distributing the knowledge that you help share here today?
1: Um, you know, the national council state board of nursing, you can buy um, NCLEX style questions, which of course these questions that I did were not taking from NCLEX exams. They're, they're written to be NCLEX style questions and you can buy a certain amount of questions and um, not that expensive and do them online and then look at the rationale and that's, a very good thing to do you can take any review course there have been there are plenty of review courses i'm partial to kaplan because what we do and i'm just going to share this with them what we do in the kaplan review course is we do question after question after question the way i just did these questions with you except in a lot more a lot more critical thinking and a lot more detail because it's a four-day course soon to be a three-day course actually but it's a You know, you have to come, you could do it online, you could do it in person, but that's what we do. And I do believe that doing question after question, and that's the way to study and looking at the rationale and seeing. but you could do it from any place. You could do from the National Council, State Board of Nursing, you could take a different review course. But I think in this day and age, because I didn't take a review course in 1976, there were no review courses. There weren't, but because the acuity of the patients and the amount of information that you need to know now, it really helps to take the content you learned in nursing school and learn how to use that with other strategies to answer the questions. That's, you know, and and come and see me, come to my class, I like it. So, um, but you could also do the, the capital class online and there's an RN and a PN one and like I said, I'm not saying that that's the only way, right? There's a lot of ways, but you need to really prepare.
0: And I think uh, that's a great place to leave this podcast, Donna. Thanks so much for your time and your expertise. You can find Donna on previous episodes of uh, the Kaplan NCLEX PrepCast. And of course you will hear her in future episodes of the Kaplan NCLEX PrepCast. Thanks so much for the time, Donna.
1: Thank you, Dan.
0: Make sure to check out KaplanNursing.com for all your NCLEX RN and NCLEX PN exam prep needs. Find us on Facebook at Kaplan NCLEX and on Twitter at Kaplan NCLEX as well. Uh, filling in for Matt Cruel. this is Dan Strafford. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on the Kaplan NCLEX PrepCast.